Hey, Whiskey Ringers. I am thrilled to welcome back Impex Beverages as the Whiskey Ring Podcast presenting sponsor. Each month, we'll be talking about a new set of single casks, maybe feature a chosen distillery or a single cask from a chosen distillery. Listen for the mid-roll for more info on this month's offerings. And now, a brand new episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. Tonight, which happens to be, as I realized about five minutes before we started recording, International Women's Day, I am thrilled to welcome onto the podcast Emily Vikra of Vikra Distillery in Minnesota. Emily, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. So we are going to pack a lot of episode into a little bit of time for this one, which I think will be great. Um, I've been able to pull from a couple of different podcasts and interviews, so hopefully we can skip some of the... um, questions you've been asked before and we'll jump right <laughs> there into we go the, we'll get right to the, the nitty-gritty uncharted exactly. territories exactly so um in that case then i'm actually going to skip the origin story question oh sure and go right into the uh the nitty-gritty so first one is so when you started vikra and i'm pronouncing that correctly mm-hmm. right perfect you started with gin mm-hmm. um but it wasn't just to make money like most early distillers would do with gin and vodka it had a purpose and mm-hmm. uh you mentioned on among other podcasts you know mountain bike radio that whiskey was in the cards from the beginning but even so your gins are purposefully designed so i just wanted you to kind of talk us through your gin journey and the variations that you have yeah gin journey i like it um yeah so we are a distillery that makes a variety of different products and we started the distillery because we felt called by Lake Superior, the largest of the Great Lakes and the landscape here and the culture here to set up shop and make something tangible and be part of this community. And so we really wanted to start with a number of spirits that celebrated this place. And certainly whiskey is part of that uh, with local greens and the amazing water that we have and oak barrels that are made in Minnesota, but we also are super excited about botanical spirits. And for me, honestly, I am, I'm going to say an herb motivated person, which I don't think is a phrase that exists, but I absolutely love spices. I love herbs. I love botanicals. I like channeling my inner witch and gin plus some of the other botanical spirits that we make really is an opportunity for that. It's an opportunity to showcase creative botanical flavors. And for us, gin also was like this perfect opportunity to lay on the idea of terroir and place because what do people accuse gin of tasting like? They say it tastes like a pine tree. And we said, okay, right. That's great. We are in an area that it's full of pine trees. Let us celebrate that. Let us celebrate those piney flavors and introduce both other traditional botanicals as well as local flavors that are a deeper expression of this place. And because it's such a creative spirit, we also wanted to start with not just one gin, but a couple of expressions of gin to really show how you can take botanical profiles in a different direction, even with juniper as a unifying backbone uh, botanical. So yeah, we started with three gins, juniper, spruce, and cedar, each of which have a different personality, a different scene that they evoke, a different set of botanicals and, you know, different 
great cocktails that they really shine in. And uh, I have a question about your cocktails a little bit later, just because it's a big part of the distillery's Mm -hmm. identity. So between the gin, and I'm a huge gin fan, I will get a hold of a couple, at least one, if not more of your gins to, to sample. My friend and I will share those. Um, you also produce an aquavit, mm-hmm. and you mentioned herbal spirits, white spirits, um, as alternatives to whiskey. And while we've talked about gin a little bit on the podcast before, we've, I don't think we've ever talked about an aquavit. So let's talk about aquavits. Yep. And so, um, you, you graciously gave me, uh, one of the, I pronounced it the Uvrevan. Uvrevan. Yep. Uvrevan. Uvrevan. Um, and, uh, I tasted it, it was delicious, but that's, just open up. What is an aquavit and what separates it yes. from so, the gins or other white spirits? Aquavit is another botanical spirit, and it is kind of the national spirit of the Nordic countries. And I'm actually a Norwegian and American dual citizen. Uh, my mom is from Norway, and I grew up spending a portion of every year in Norway. So I grew up very immersed in that culture. And it is also kind of an interesting immigrant culture in northern Minnesota and across Minnesota, where we are located now. And so from that upbringing and from that presence of Akavit as a celebratory spirit at Christmas and uh, Sotlamai, which is Norway's Independence Day and Midsommar and all of these things, I knew uh, from the start of having the idea of starting a distillery that we should make an Akavit. And so what Akavit is, like I said, it's another botanical spirit. Like gin is infused with juniper berries plus other botanicals. Akavit has to be infused with either caraway or dill or both, plus, if you wish, other botanicals. And it really dates back to at least the 1500s is when the first written uh, evidence of this caraway-infused akavit appeared in the Scandinavias. And akavit is Latin for aquavite, water of life. And it was billed in the 1500s as a real cure-all for everything from fatigue to rheumatoid arthritis to gout to stomach problems. Um, And, you know, who knows to what extent that was alcohol versus the botanicals that were in it. But caraway and some of those other spices are uh, helpful in stimulating digestive juices. And so it's kind of often used as a digestif or a pairing for heavy meals, like holiday meals. And so in the Scandinavian countries, each country has their own style of akavit. Uh, Danish akavit tends to be more caraway forward and unaged. Swedish akavit tends to be, um, it's often a little bit sweetened. It is sometimes infused with botanicals after distillation as opposed to during distillation. Uh, and then it, both Danish and Swedish akavits are usually grain-based. Norwegian akavit has to be potato-based, actually, so it gives it a different texture. And it has to be aged. So most Norwegian akavits are aged at least six months in a variety of different casks, often used sherry casks. Um there's also Iceland, like an Icelandic version, which is called Akavit or Schnapps or Svartidaude, which is uh, Icelandic for the Black Death. <laughs> um, and uh, when we started our distillery nine and a half years ago at this point, Akavit was still a very minor spirit on the American spirits scene. You could get uh, one Akavit from Norway and one Akavit from Denmark. 
and a couple of craft distilleries had started making Akavit, but it was, it was still very, very rare. And so we started making Akavit to celebrate our heritage, to appease our Norwegian neighbors, to have something to celebrate with at Sutnamai. And it was definitely one of those things where it, it felt at first like an uphill battle. Everyone was like, what is Akavit? What is Akavit? What is Akavit? Why would I do this? It's whatever. It tastes like licorice. It tastes like rubbing alcohol. Blah. Um, my grandpa used to keep Akavit in the freezer and it was disgusting because a lot of traditional Akavits are very, very, very aggressive with a caraway. They're heavy handed. Ours is a little bit lighter, smoother. It has more citrus. It makes a great sipping spirit, but also a great base spirit for cocktails, which is purposeful because right around that time, people were really starting to make more and more creative craft cocktails and uh, Akavit was starting to enter the tool belt of some of the top cocktail makers in the country. And we wanted to participate in that. And so Akavit is actually our bartender's favorite spirit for mixing with. It's super versatile. It's a little bit more, um, a little bit more savory than gin, I would say, but really brings a wonderful and different aromatic spin to, to cocktails, like anything from a gimlet to a Bloody Mary. So tropical cocktails. So you went through the different versions that you could have in different countries, uh, but with your background being, your heritage being Norwegian, it sounds like the Akavit that's in front of me now is not Norwegian style. It's more style. Danish style, I know. Yeah, it's more Danish style. <laughs> yep, we have both an unaged and an aged Akavit. Uh, the aged one, we have less of and distribute less. The And it's, I love both of them. I love both of them. They're all my botanical babies. I can't choose. But I would say the Övrevan, which is Norwegian for Lake Superior, which is where the name comes from, is a more tuffle Danish style Akavit because it is unaged and pretty caraway forward. But it is very smooth and light and sprightly and really great for mixing. So I kind of lead people into Akavit with that. Our Voyager Akavit is aged for about a year anywhere from eight months to two years in used cognac barrels. Uh, the United States government does not let us put an age statement on it. Uh, they say Akavit is not an aged product. Uh, so it is barrel rested. <laughs> and uh, it is... I've seen the same thing with gins. So, mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm. And so it has a lighter spice profile. And it has some of those kind of vanilla and stone fruit and blossom notes from the cognac casks. And it is, you know, a beautiful sipping spirit, but also really good in like an old fashioned or Manhattan. And that is a little bit Norwegian in style, uh, but it is also a little bit of a joke because, or I mean, not a joke, but it's like an, it's, uh, how do you describe it? It's like a little wink, it, right? Because like a play most, on it. Yeah. Yes. Because, uh, well, most Norwegian Akavits are aged in sherry barrels, and Akavit is kind of the national spirit of Norway. A lot of Norwegians are really obsessed with cognac, and a lot of the cognac distilleries have been purchased by well-heeled Norwegians. And so the combination of Akavit and cognac casks was a little bit of a nod to that piece of cultural esoterica. <laughs> cultural esoterica. I like that. I like that. With these spirits, you're working with the gin, with an with aquavits, uh, and with whiskeys. I'd imagine you're not using the same mash bills or bases for each one, or are you? What's the uh, kind of the spread on those? 
Most of our unaged spirits we make with uh, organic Minnesota corn. Uh, Minnesota is a big producer of corn. We have access to organic corn. It's a great source of ethanol. So we really lean on that for a lot of our botanical spirits. We make our vodka actually with a weird mash bill because (laughs) I didn't want to make vodka originally. Don't tell people. But I was like, it's a flavorless, odorless spirit. And I'm a flavor person. I don't want to, uh, but people wanted it. And so I was like, let's make a weird vodka with crazy texture and a little bit of a more robust flavor. So our vodka is local malted barley, wheat, and corn. Uh, and then our whiskeys also each have a different mash bill using various local grains. But it's harder to get organic versions of non the non-corn grains it's much harder to come by especially melted barley and so we for yeah for our clear products we use organic corn because they're certified organic Uh, and i did get to taste the sugar bush whiskey which then it was cult classic Mm -hmm. from the distillery uh and i did quite enjoy it it's i you know i should caution it's not going to be like an aged a super Mm -hmm. aged whiskey it's not meant to be but you look at it, it says port barrel age, maple cast finish. Cause that's exactly the flavors you get. So mm-hmm. for a flavor person, right. on. Yes. Right. And that was our first whiskey. And it was kind of an experiment in layering different flavors onto a younger whiskey versus just letting the effects of aging build the flavors. And so it is a, it's a bourbon mash, but it's not aged in new casks and so it layers on those other barrel finishes instead of just you know hitting you with the oaky vanilla hammer and you know gives you the light oak it gives you a little bit of the effects of aging it gives you some of those cherry and yellow cake flavors from the pork barrels and then a little bit of maple we don't put maple into the whiskey but we use barrels that have been held maple syrup local maple syrup and then transfer the whiskey into those to finish it this month's impact spotlight is on pokeno whiskey sitting just south of auckland on the north island of new zealand pokeno is one of the pacific rim's newest distilleries founded by whiskey industry veteran matt johns pokeno set out to create a uniquely new zealand single malt whiskey one that would bring the lush subtropical terroir into the world's most recognizable category of malt spirit. I've been able to try their origin and their discovery series, as well as a single barrel double matured in ex-bourbon, and each were truly fantastic. And in case you're wondering whether I really do get to try these things that I talk about or whether I even like them, I'm here to tell you yes to both. If I don't like it, I don't have to talk about it. And I can't stop talking about Pocano to anyone who will listen. As of March 2023, Pocano is just starting to come out into the U.S. market with a rapidly growing footprint. I sometimes say that there are distilleries to watch. This is one to watch while sipping their already world-class single malts. Check out my episode with Matt and Pocono in late March, and order your bottle of Pocono New Zealand single malt today. Hey, whiskey ringers. I hope you've been taking advantage of that podcast-only code for the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. They've got around 20 bottlings coming out each month, and there's never a shortage of new things to explore. To take advantage of this podcast-only offer, please go to smwsa.com, that's Scotch Mall Whiskey Society of America, 
and put in code WRP for Whiskey Ring Podcast at checkout for 25% off your first year subscription. So with the, I want to kind of take a, a 30,000 foot view on this uh, topic. And I wanted to talk for a few minutes about where Vika fits within the the new rise of kind of Nordic cuisine culture and history. Mm-hmm. And I know on the on um, the first question on mountain bike radio, you also mentioned that both you and your husband had tried a Swedish whiskey before starting your distillery. Do you mm-hmm. happen to remember which one that was? Uh, it was called Makmira. Oh, it was Makmira. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was, I was wondering, I had just spoken with um, I'm actually trying to schedule with Makmira right now. Nice. So um, made sure to had to ask that. Yes. Right. And it was like a very impactful story because well, the way it was translated to us, right. was like, they were in Scotland. They heard from the Scottish distillers how it's really about the natural resources. It's about the grain. It's about the barrels for a peated whiskey. It's about the peat. And, you know, they had these natural resources there. And these Swedish guys were like, we have those natural resources too. Like maybe we should try using them in this way. And we heard that story and we're like, Minnesota has these natural resources too. Like why there's a Kajillion breweries and nobody is distilling right now. Big part of that was the legalities behind it that have since shifted somewhat. Uh, but yeah, we were like, we have these amazing natural sources of flavor, of fermentation, of water, of oak. Like, no, why is nobody celebrating more in in a in a in a spirited way? <laughs> yeah i uh, asked i was wondering if it was mac Mira, and then i'm also asking this in, in the context of we've had previous guests on the podcast uh Stowning last year mm-hmm. from denmark and then uh by the time this episode goes live also a previous guest in then from finland mm-hmm. so Nordic, but not Scandinavian, but we'll mm-hmm, mm-hmm. include it for the purposes. Hundred percent include it. I have some excellent yes. Finnish friends. I would never want to exclude them. Um, we on that episode we went into a whole thing about why Finland is and is not yes. part of that. So, <laughs> um, so we don't have to rehash it. <laughs> ex- exactly, it's a deep dive. It's worth listening to, but we won't rehash it here. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, so yeah. So apart from you know the big name that people think about in in Nordic cuisine, they think of Noma, mm-hmm. places like that. Uh, of course, Noma is now closing, uh, but the the fact still remains that Nordic cuisine, Nordic culture, the history of um, the area is now becoming more in the public eye. And that's through any number of things from Noma all the way to Thor, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, right. To the concept that. of Hygge and Scandinavian design. And now mm-hmm. like hot and cold therapy is taking off with Wim Hof and cold water and sauna and all of these things. So exactly. People doing the cold plunges yep. after the sauna and all of this. Mm-hmm. So um, as you're, I guess, as you were both creating the distillery. Um, mm-hmm. and that can be conceptual and in practice. And also today, do you consider Vikra part of that renewed interest or something that happened to just coincide really well and be, become part of the wave? Yeah. Oh, it was a hundred percent part of that interest. And in some ways I wouldn't say driven by it, but certainly supported by it. 
uh, I, as a Norwegian and as a person who was a recipe developer and, uh, interested in cooking and cuisine and recipes and all of those things, I definitely followed the rise of Noma and other similar restaurants. And I actually, while we were still living in Boston, did kind of a deep dive project because part of, I did a PhD before starting a distillery in food policy. And a strong part of my interest was in immigrant dietary acculturation and thinking about, and, you know, I'll, we all study ourselves when we're doing our PhDs, whether or not we want to admit it. And a lot of that was driven by my observations of my mother and how she cooked and the food that we grew up with versus the the Norwegian food that our neighbors had that had traveled to the United States during a different time period and had therefore gotten kind of enshrined from, you know, the cuisine and the cooking practices of say the 1800s versus the 1980s. And what I saw as Norwegian food was very different from what they saw as Norwegian food, which is very different from what we see as Norwegian food now. And I would say the same is true for probably any immigrant culture where you kind of can can capture moments in time and dietary preferences at moments in time via immigration. And that is really cool. And so I was watching the Nordic cuisine trends and these like amazing, beautiful, but totally unrecognizable dishes with like crazy foams and seaweeds and pickles and things. And I was like, that was not my idea of Norwegian food, right? Like we had a lot of meatballs and mashed potatoes or like sausages with fried onions. Uh, and so I did a whole kind of project where I explored the confluence of what I had been brought up with as Norwegian food and what my neighbors had been brought up with as Norwegian food and where Nordic cuisine in the media was and created a whole 17 course meal that I cooked for people uh, with all these dishes that unified these things. And really it was a, sorry, this is like speaking of deep dives, right? It was really an exploration of how food and identity and eating in a particular place and time manifest themselves and how Nordic cuisine as much as anything. And I think what made it interesting to people was like the attempt to really have the food be from a place and from a time and from a set of resources that were like hyper locally available while also drawing on techniques and practices from eons past. Um, and so the idea of foraging and pickling and smoking and all of these things, while they seem very uh, elevated, esoteric again, apparently that's my word of the evening, when on this like fancy plated plate are truly these like very accessible cross cultural cross time span 
food preservation practices. It's like, that's how you get food and that's how you eat food. And you make sure you have food around, especially when you're in a place that only has food available like three months of the year. And so in doing these things and in learning about these food preservation practices and foraging and things like that, it was very motivated to draw on some of those ideas while creating the spirits that we make for our distillery because we were called by a place. And so we wanted to kind of celebrate that place and celebrate that time while also placing it in the context of like our personal history and the history of our neighbors and just exploring the complexity and the layers of what that means. Cause it never means just one thing. That was, was that also part of the project where you created a 17 course meal? Yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, so, I mean, it's exploring those, yeah, those layer of layers of identity where you have what's there, but you have what your history is and you have where people have migrated around the world and what they bring with them and what they leave behind. And you're, you're left with this, you're left with Akavit. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to look up the uh, thesis if it's available. I, something I would like to read because I am that nerdy and I am interested. So <laughs> what can I say? Um, so two last questions for you and we'll make them quick. Uh, well, the first one is quick. And then the second one is going to be on the cocktail culture. So the first one is because I think you mentioned another podcast that basically the northern half of Minnesota is mostly a peat bog, mm -hmm. probably saturated from Lake Superior. I would, and it's and the boundary waters, right? Exactly. Um, any peat in your future? We have had a lot of conversations with different people that have peat on their land, and it is a it's it's more complicated here than it it is in some other places because a lot of that peat is on federally protected land <laughs> so not available for harvest so we do have some farmers that have peat available on their land but we want to be really respectful of the fact that peat takes hundreds multiple hundreds of years to grow and so we have experimented a little bit with more like micro peating micro peat smoking rather than like the large scale types of uh peat applications that they do to multigrain in scotland and so it is something where we have not been happy with the results so far uh so we haven't released anything but it's also not off the table fair i've only had one great lakes peat so far i honestly did not enjoy it but that was and yeah we tried a bunch of like <laughs> it's, it's different it's yeah different. it was like that's not what we're going for and we're not gonna do it just for the sake of doing it yeah i can i can respect and appreciate that and as a as a whiskey and a spirits enthusiast so um i know we're running a little short so just quickly if we can go to the cocktail culture because mm -hmm. that is such a big thing about Vikra, uh, you said that you learned cocktails on the fly after starting the distillery. Yeah. And yet. Genius, right? Well, I, I mean, it, it's. It literally hadn't can't occurred argue to me. Against it. it hadn't <laughs> occurred to me that I was going to need to know anything about cocktails when I started a distillery. And then people started asking, like, how do I use this product? And I was like, oh, jeepers. I better learn how to make cocktails. I mean, it's it's ended up being very successful. So I can't can't argue against it so you did 
more than one thing right clearly to get there <laughs> so um you know how how did it become so how did cocktails and the cocktail culture become so integral to Vikra's image and identity so yeah we because we launched with gin and akavit and we were doing tastings and we were doing various events and things like that the question after how do you pronounce your name and what is akavit the <laughs> next question was how do i use this in a cocktail and you can only get so far with gin and tonics right and i was like oh yeah how do you use this in a cocktail uh let's learn about cocktails and i felt kind of dumb that i had not really enjoyed like had cocktails before or known much about cocktails i was much more of a wine person and kind of thought i didn't like cocktails because the main cocktails i'd been exposed to were like the blank and blanks something with something sweet on top and so then I started, but if I get into something, I get into it deep. And so then I was like, I'm going to learn about cocktails. I'm going to read a kajillion books about cocktails. I am going to start experimenting a bunch and really explore cocktail history books and just discovered the joy and excitement and like source of creativity that cocktails really can be. There's such an interesting history. There's such an interesting range. And then once you start going past just working with spirits, but you can also add syrups that you make yourself or different infusions and tinctures and things like that. Like my, my witchy side just went wild and I was like, sign me up. This is really fun, but it's also challenging, which to me makes it extra fun because in the context of a cocktail, like spices and things don't necessarily even work like you might expect. So it's kind of like cooking, but because you're working with these already very complex ingredients, it's like trying to mix a curry and a stew and a pasta dish together rather than like just making a curry. And trying to make all those pieces work by layering them in just the right precise amounts and, you know, shaking or stirring them in the right way to give them the right texture and things like that. So, you know, started doing a deep dive and this was also supported by then some changes that we got passed at the Minnesota legislature that allowed micro distilleries to open up cocktail rooms, which they saw as the distillery equivalent of a beer tap room. So we could serve our spirits in the context of cocktails, but only with things that we made ourselves. And being a food dork, I was like, well, we're going to make everything ourselves. <laughs> why, why serve it with tonic that we buy or ginger beer that we buy when we can make our own mixers? And that by doing that, we also kind of brought on more and more people who had a similar bent and a similar interest in flavors and textures and creativity and looking at what was going on all over the world in cocktails and really bringing that to showcase our products. Uh, I do believe, you know, when you have a really great product, it doesn't need a complicated cocktail to showcase it. You know, many of the greatest cocktails are three ingredient cocktails, and I am a firm believer in those cocktails. But it's also really fun to make something that has like 13 ingredients that are all added just so in just the right amounts to give you this absolutely amazing tapestry of flavor. And I, I really do believe that, you know, I, I, I really believe in drinking less and drinking better and that, you know, when we approach alcohol 
it is a substance. It is something that we have to be conscientious about and careful about. It's also something that people have enjoyed and interacted with and celebrated with since before written history, right? Like since yeast hung out on fruit skin. <laughs> exactly. And so it is something that is worth being conscientious of and careful with and also using in a really delicious way that begs you like Nordic cuisine to really situate yourself and enter into the world at a particular time and place and be very present to enjoy those flavors and textures and things like that while also hopefully sharing the experience with others or, you know, deeply with yourself. Well, I'm going to try the aquavit in a uh, Negroni because that's the first thing that my mind goes to, mm -hmm. but I will definitely try it in old fashioned because yeah, why not? Fun in old fashioned no. adds and some orange bitters. Uh, I really like an aquavit like gimlet or daiquiri. It's it's delicious with lime. I really like Akavit in like tropical drinks. We use it a lot in drinks that you might think you should use rum in, but we throw Akavit in there instead, and it is a delight. I will give it a try. Well, Emily, I will let you go. I think I hear some. Can you some hear all hungry... the kids in the background? <laughs> Just, uh, pro probably only I can hear them. To be honest, so. I can hear some hungry kids. So thank you so much for taking the time. I uh, am sure there are more things to talk about. Hope to have you back sometime. Absolutely. To talk more. And um, I will be looking for the PhD and also <laughs> to state some more stuff. So Emily, thanks so much. Have a wonderful evening and we will talk soon. You too. Have a fantastic evening. Cheers. Cheers. Hey folks, thanks for listening to another episode of the Whiskering Podcast. If you like what you hear, please go ahead and click that subscribe, follow, or like button. Leave a rating review on your podcast app of choice, and let me know what you want to hear. You can reach out to me through the podcast apps, or email me at david at whiskeymywedderring.com with any suggestions or ideas for new show guests. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash whiskeyinmywedderring, that's whiskey with an E, for as little as a dollar a month. Five dollars a month gets you access to bonus content including our soon-to-resume Under the Influencer series, and $25 a month means you join the Barrel Share Club. Each month, Barrel Share Club members get to try products sent to me for review, bottles from my own collection, and sometimes bottles that I just pick up because they're fun or interesting. Right now, only five spots remain in the Barrel Share Club, so grab your place today. Finally, Please follow on Instagram. You can follow me at WhiskeyMyWeddingRing or at WhiskeyRingPodcast. You can follow me on Twitter at WhiskeyRing. You can follow on Facebook at Whiskey My Wedding Ring or join the Facebook group, the Whiskey Ringers group. And I hope to see you there. Cheers. Thank you for the support and see you next time.